We shouldn't let all the drama and nonsense surrounding this Chicago Bears team have us overlook what was Justin Fields' career best game on Sunday against the Denver Broncos, despite how it ended. You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Locked On Bears, and I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm here to bring you your daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Bears. You can like Locked On Bears on Facebook. Join the Locked On Bears Facebook group for even more Bears talk. And make sure you hit that subscribe button on the Locked On Bears YouTube channel to keep up with all of our video podcasts as well. Thanks for making Locked On Bears your first listen today. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use our promo code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. On the show today, we look back over what was a really strong performance from Justin Fields, what represented significant progress in him, in a lot of the areas of quarterbacking that we wanted to see growth from him. I think it also represented some progress from offensive coordinator Luke Getze, but there were still, you know, just that touch of like warts, you know, that touch of it's there, but it's not all there. There's still like mistakes and design stuff built in that are just, it's like, ah, you almost got it, but, and there's progress, we'll take it, but not enough, obviously. And then we have to wrap up with the latest on Chase Claypool, because it seems like every day, more is coming out about what's going on with him. And now, really, that relationship is, is as as soured as it can possibly be at this point until he's no longer a Chicago Bear. But I want to make sure we spend some time with Justin Fields, some time on Justin Fields today, because, you know, of course, after the after the game yesterday, with such a horrific collapse and, and loss, like that's that's ultimately the big story, right? It's, it's how they lost to a team they should have lost to and, and going through the loss and all that stuff and the need to fire Matt Eberflus, although it's not happening at this point. You know, that, that was definitely, I think, took took precedent yesterday, but I don't want that to overlook or overshadow or discount what was an r- incredible performance from Justin Fields. And everybody jumps right away on, well, the turnovers, right? A fumble towards the end of the game and then an interception at the very end of the game, as though that undoes the first three and a half quarters of what we saw from Justin Fields, as though that invalidates it. And as though those are purely Justin Fields' fault, which I don't assign him 100% blame on either of those decisions. You certainly can't absolve him of 100% blame on either of the turnovers, but there are there are those two plays and then there are the, you know, 27 other great plays he made in that game. And if you start to weigh him here, like obviously turnovers are big, but like we can we can also find a lot of value in the 27 really good plays. Or I mean, I'm just throwing that number out there. He completed 28 passes, so I'm just sort of rounding. But like, you know what I mean? Like 20 plus really good plays and two maybe less than good plays, depending on how much blame you want to actually assign to Justin Fields. I mean, again, I don't think we can say it enough. He started the game 16 of 16. He set a franchise record for most completed passes to start a game. And these were not all just, you know, easy checkdowns and screen passes and underneath routes. Like he was firing the ball downfield. He was hitting open receivers. He was hitting not open receivers. He was hitting tight windows. He was throwing anticipatory throws. He was, you know, 
leading the receiver to a spot instead of having to see them be open. He was working the pocket. He was working a progression. He was attacking the middle of the field. Like he was doing so many of the things that we wanted to see him do from the start of the season and that we need to see him do in order for his career to continue to grow. And even after, you know, he has his first incompletion on the Hail Mary, still has a really strong second half, finishes the game with a career high, 28 completions, a career high, 335 passing yards, a career high, four touchdowns, tied a career high with an 80% completion percentage in this game. And of course, with the most completions and the most attempts, then with that completion percentage attached to that career best completion percentage. So like this was as good of an individual game from Justin Fields as we have seen. There was a confidence about him where he could trust his eyes and see it and throw it. He trusted his receivers, namely, you know, DJ Moore being the one that he had the most trust with in the game, but certainly a lot of trust with Mooney there. Found Cole Komet for a bunch of touchdowns, sometimes wide open, sometimes not. There was there was a faith and a trust in its teammates and in the offense and in the offensive line, giving him some time to throw. I thought they had a better performance. All of this being against a weak Denver Broncos defense, but nonetheless, you still have to actually go out and do it. Not everybody comes out and goes 16 for 16 against this Denver Broncos defense. Hell, Tua Tungavailoa and the Dolphins, sure, they put up 70 points. You didn't go 16 to 16 against that Denver Broncos defense. You know what I mean? Like, as much as it's a really bad defense and that that detracts some from how impressive it is, he still did things against this, against this defense that other teams weren't, that other quarterbacks weren't, that other offenses weren't. And that counts for something. It might not count for as much as if you did it against a good defense, of course, but does count for something. It counts for evidence of like, hey, this is what you drafted this kid for. This is what you fell in love with coming out of Ohio State. This is why you or some other team might still believe in him as an NFL quarterback down the line because he shows you, hey, yeah, I can hit tight window throws. I can throw with confidence and decisiveness. I can throw anticipatory throws. I can feel out the pocket. I can still, of course, use those legs as a runner. And like all of those things were reminders of what he does so well. The question is, how well can you sustain it from a game like this? He did it. He reminded us. There's, there it is. It's sort of like the big flash. But can you do it on, you know, on four days against the commanders on Thursday? Can you do it again against the Vikings after that? Or is this just a product of, okay, you did it, but it was against a bad defense, and now you're struggling to do it against really good defenses? To me, it is reminiscent of what we saw from Mitch Trubisky in 2018 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when he threw six touchdowns in week four. And it was like, whoa, like, there's the Mitch Trubisky you drafted out of North Carolina. But it was a particularly bad Buccaneers defense that was running the same two coverages all game that he could easily read and, t- and t- take apart. But then you get and play really good defenses again, and you come back down to earth a little bit. I'm anticipating that for Justin Fields, but that doesn't mean this isn't any less impressive for me. And I do want to get into the interception and the fumble a little bit, but I also want to get into Luke Getze as a play caller, certainly playing a role in that in this game, like him being able to operate an offense a little bit better for Fields. And then there were still some areas where it wasn't quite better for Fields. So we'll kind of take a look at, at the turnovers that I don't think were as bad as people make them out to be. And the offensive progress, which is there, but not all the way there, next on Locked On Bears. The Locked On Bears podcast is brought to you by our friends at Game Time, the best way to get tickets for all of your favorite live events. Whether it's Bears games, I know the prices on Game Time keep going down the more they lose games. You can get some great deals on some Bears games, including, you know, the next home game and everything beyond that the rest of the season. You can get some great deals at Game Time, but also, you know, concerts, uh, comedy shows, theater, 
everything near you they've got at game time with killer deals and all in prices. So you're not going to get surprised with fees at the end either. You're going to know your price and you're not going to end up having 30, 40 extra dollars tacked on there per ticket that make you all of a sudden change your mind. Plus you can see the view from your seat as well. And they've got a best price guarantee where if you find a better price somewhere else for the same seat or the same row, they'll, they'll give you the difference and more. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use our promo code Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem our promo code Locked On NFL for twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Part of Justin Fields playing better and more confident in this offense was offensive quarter Luke Getze putting him and the offense in better positions to be successful. You know, we saw or even you know, from the start in that game, the Bears offense moving the pocket a little bit more, you know, more play action right away, getting Fields some easier reads and more decisive reads and the types of plays that he's more comfortable with. You know, when you're when you're rolling him out of the pocket to way, and especially it was like rollouts too, where he's not, it's not under center, so he's not turning away from the field and then turning up field and then have a pass rusher right in his face, like on the fumble play that we'll get to in a second, which I start to blame on Luke Getzey a bit more at that point. But again, we'll get there in a second. But, you know, giving him those half-field reads, those three-level reads that he's able to just more easily then get into a rhythm with, suck the linebackers in on some play action and fire over behind them. Like, you got fields going early with those and some deep shots to where, you know, a drive or two in the game, right, he has some confidence, and I think Fields is one of those quarterbacks where, you know, once you get that confidence and that rhythm going, then it beca- then then it builds on itself, right? In the same way that when you're out of rhythm and failing, that builds on itself too and snowballs in both the positive or the negative direction to where then, I mean, you saw him hitting DJ Moore on dig routes over the middle of the field, slant routes hitting the middle of the field. Like Fields has not been a consistent thrower of the ball over the middle of the field this season. And yet... Once the offense got rolling, once he got into that rhythm, once he got comfortable and confident and felt like, oh, this is working against this defense, it's easy to read what their coverages are going to be because they don't disguise them very much at all in Denver. You know, that's when he can start to expand and be effective in areas of his game that he wasn't previously. You know, anticipatory throws, leading receivers with the ball, not having to see them be wide open, but throw it to a spot where you trust that they're going to be. And then they are there and they catch it and it's a big completion. The problem is, when you trust a receiver to be at a spot and he's not there. And that's what happened on the interception to Cole Komet, where Justin Fields, if you, if you watch the all 22 of that, and I'm going to break down some Justin Fields tape on the all 22 for members of the lockdown bears subtext group. If you want to check it out, it'll be joinsubtextcom slash locked on bears to get exclusive access to all 22 video breakdowns and advanced charting on how Justin Fields is doing against certain coverages, how the bears defense is covering each quarterback in each week and the coverages they're running and a bunch of other good stuff. The website is joinsubtext.com slash locked on bears as we go through the progress from Justin Fields and the offense in this week. But on that play, if you watch the replay in the All-22, he is letting go of the ball as Cole Komet is still running vertically. And Cole Komet, essentially what he's going to do, he's going to like, it's kind of like a curl, but he's going to like fake to the inside and then rip to the outside a little bit. You know, he kind As he's running his curl, he can either turn to his right to go back to the quarterback or turn his left to go back to the quarterback. And he like steps right and then pivots like he's going to post up a big man in the paint and then steps to his left, but, but Fields throws it to the direction he started moving in first. And so it, it was clearly a miscommunication because that's a timing anticipation route. He, he, is, he is letting go of that ball, trusting that Cole Komet is going to be in that spot. 
Cole Komet is not in that spot. Kareem Jackson steps into that spot and picks it off. So like that's not what I would call a bad decision by Justin Fields, and it's not what I would call an inaccurate throw by Justin Fields. He put that where he wanted to and where he thought the ball was supposed to go. He put that where Cole Komet was supposed to be. He was not. It was a miscommunication between two players. It's not something that I look at as being, oh, a bad, bad move by Fields. Like, oh, that, that one's not on Fields in the, in the traditional sense of, like, it being a mistake he's going to keep making over and over again. The fumble. It's a play-action rollout, a naked rollout, where unblocked guys coming off the line of scrimmage. And again, it's like, we, t- we talked about this in the podcast. We want more rollouts for, for Fields, but you have to have smart rollouts. You have to have a tight end in to block that unblocked defender because every team is taking that guy in the line of scrimmage. Like the whole reason it's supposed to work is that that guy who's unblocked is supposed to be watching the running back. So then the quarterback, when he fakes the handoff, he can roll around him. And that guy was so focused on trying to stop the run that he didn't keep eyes on the quarterback. But when Justin Fields is your quarterback, every single time that guy is only going to watch your quarterback and is not going to worry about the handoff there. And so you then have to bring in another guy to actually block that guy. You can't just leave him unblocked because you know every time he's going straight for your quarterback. And it was like one of the only times all game they actually called it that way where they didn't have somebody to block that guy in the line of scrimmage. And what happens? Justin Fields is hit like immediately as he turns. If you look at the timing of that, it wasn't like he had time to throw it away. He, he tried to, and that's what you can fault Justin Fields for is probably should have just taken the sack there. But it's a critical moment in the game. He didn't want to take a sack. He wanted to just try and throw it away. We want Justin Fields to throw it away. We've been asking Justin Fields to throw it away more. So it's hard for me to get mad at him for fumbling when he's trying to throw it away. And the play design left him out to dry. Like he had nothing. He had no chance of success in that play. The best case scenario was being sacked for a 12-yard loss. You know, and if you're designing a play where the best case scenario is being sacked for a 12-yard loss, I don't know. I'm not going to kill the quarterback too bad when he tries to do something with it and ends up fumbling it. Like, yes, it's bad. You know, PFF downgrades him on that play. You know, I downgrade him on the play. Sure. But it's not like, oh, what a bonehead decision by Fields, right? You don't look at that as him being dumb or making a—I mean, I guess it's a bad—I mean, it, it turns out it's a good idea, but a bad result is kind of how I think about it. Throwing it away there, good idea. Not necessarily having a, a good idea of how much time he had to throw it away there, but, like, he had the right intentions, and it was—you would want him to do that just earlier. So that's why that's a little bit messy. And that's where, again, like, we're seeing progress from, from Getze, right? Got him into a rhythm early, got him into place he was comfortable with. But then you have stuff like that. Or, that, you know, there was a quarterback running play there where it was, it was the first time we've seen the design where it's snapped to fields and he's just going to take off to the left. And they pulled linemen from the backside of the play. They didn't have anybody to block the defensive end on the front side. Like It was just poor, it was so poorly designed. You know, the left tackle is supposed to block down, but you need to have somebody there. that If the defensive end is going to be outside the tackle there, somebody's got to block him. And you can't expect your guard and tackle from the backside to get there and block him. So it's like even on the design quarterback runs that we've been asking for, the design that we got was poorly designed. It wasn't even just poorly executed. Fields was met in the backfield for a tackle for loss because they designed it and didn't have anybody there to block the player who was first to Fields. Like they, it just wasn't, the actual structure of the play call as drawn by your offensive coordinator was insufficient for the play to be successful. And that's where it's like, all right, Luke, we're getting there, right? We're, we're, we're making progress. We got Fields going 16 to 16, but you can't roll them out into an unblocked player and you can't have a designed quarterback run into an unblocked player. You can't draw in a play that leaves unblocked players heading straight for your quarterback. Like that's that's the frustration, right? That's where we're stuck here. Where it's progress. We're getting there, maybe, maybe career best game for Fields, but then offensive coordinator not quite all the way there. That's where it's frustrating. That's where that's where we're still a little bit a uh, little bit disoriented or a little bit frustrated and a little bit you know unconfident that all of a sudden. Things are going to sustain from here and turn around because there's still mess to clean up. The latest mess being 
Chase Claypool. His time as a Chicago Bear is almost done. Maybe even by the time you listen to this podcast on Tuesday, maybe it'll already be done because it feels like that's how quickly we're moving to a separation between the number between the well the highly regarded traded for wide receiver and the team he no longer wants to be a part of and the team that no really want no longer really wants him to be a part of it. So we'll get the latest on the Chase Claypool saga and what could happen from here next on Locked On Bears. The Locked On Bears podcast is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook, America's number one sportsbook. And right now is a great time to get in on FanDuel if you haven't before, because new customers that play with FanDuel will get a $200 bonus bet added to their account, guaranteed. All you have to do is place a $5 bet on anything. Bet a $5 bet on what's going to happen in this next Bears game against the Commanders on Thursday Night Football, for example. Right now, the odds are Bears are seven-point underdogs on the road. Uh, the money line is Bears plus 260. The over-under set at just 44 and a half points. You place a $5 bet on that or anything, FanDuel is going to add $200 to your account. Whether you win or lose that bet, you're getting an extra $200 in bonus bets just for signing up with our promo code Locked On. It's no better time than this. Get in on the action with FanDuel. Again, our website is fanduel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. Fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. The Chase Claypool drama escalated quickly, huh? And I'm like, I, I need, I guess I need a, a a red suit and tie and sit back in my chair. And I think he, does Ron Burgundy have a beer in that scene in, in Anchorman? We goes, woof, that escalated quickly. I, I, my familiarity, with, I've seen the meme a thousand times on Twitter, but I guess I don't, I don't retain the finer details of what color suit he's wearing. But regardless, like I need, I need to recreate that here because that escalated quickly. The Chase Claypool situation, we went from, okay, like week one, bad effort and apologize to his team to... Boy, all of a sudden he's calling out his coaches to, all right, he's inactive, to now he was asked to stay home, to now he's away from the team indefinitely and will be cut or traded. Like That's really the, the short summary of where we got to because that's that's it. Chase Claypool, inactive. Matty Bifluse clarified after the game. We talked about this a little bit on yesterday's podcast, but I want to check in again today because there was more from Matty Bifluse and it seems to be more direction here and just more, more of a mess. Like This is just a mess and it's an absolute... I think it looks the worst for Ryan Poles at this point, who's eating a massive L on the Claypool trade. But I think, first of all, we can remind ourselves that it was reported credibly last year. I believe it was ESPN's Josina Anderson reported that the Green Bay Packers offered the Pittsburgh Steelers a second round pick for Chase Claypool. And then the Steelers essentially came back to the Bears and said, hey, they're offering us their second round pick. Will you offer us your second round pick? Not the Ravens second round pick your second round pick and Ryan Poles maybe feeling a little desperate to try and land some kind of wide receiver because he was looking ahead at the free agent class this offseason which was terrible correctly he predicted that it would be terrible he didn't know that he would have had the opportunity to trade for DJ Moore with the number one overall pick didn't know what his options would be to get a wide receiver this offseason so he said well bird in the hand this is an opportunity to get a guy who has number one receiver skills let's go get Chase Claypool and outbid a division rival for him. That's what he did. And I think at the time, everyone felt like it was a little bit of an overpay. Sure. They gave up a lot to get him. We were maybe cautiously optimistic that they could out or that they could, they could sort of rebuild him, fix him, get more bang for their buck than the Steelers had gotten with him up to that point. And also a lot of Bears fans were rubbing it in Packers fans face. Ha ha ha. 
we got the guy you wanted. We're going to keep you from having better receivers for, at the time, Aaron Rodgers. We're going to keep you from having success this season. Like, it was not like everyone was mad at the move at the time. Everyone thought the Bears paid too much. Sure. We probably all would have thought the Packers paid too much had the Packers ended up getting him instead. But now, less than 12 months later, his time with the Chicago Bears is is all but done. Matt Eberflus had a press conference today, uh, Monday, got a barrage of Chase Claypool questions. Here's a kind of a taste. And, and to me, this was just like, I was almost sad. Like, this is just kind of sad. I, I almost feel bad for Matt Eberflus because he's just got, he's got nothing. <laughs> what, what can he say about Chase Claypool in this situation? Is the plan to keep Chase Claypool away from the team until you trade or waive him? Yeah, uh, right now we're just having him stay, uh, you know, not be in the building this week. And then again, Ryan does all the trades and transactions, and we'll decide that as we go forward. Why keep, why so you keep think him he's away? Coming why back? keep him away from the team right now? What is the rationale behind that? Yeah, we just feel that's the best for the team. We well, just why? Yeah, it's just like we said, you know, for in the building, we feel that's best for the team. And really, it comes down to this, you know, when you're evaluating players, right? You know, in meetings, you know, in practice, right? And you know, in you know, in walkthroughs. All those things, it's important that you evaluate the entire body of work, right? And we just feel that right now Chase is going to be out of the building's best for our football team. There's almost no scenario where a team would do this unless that player was done with that team. Is that the case with Chase, that he's not going to play for the Bears again? Well, he's, he's uh, like not going to be in the building this week, so he's not playing this week. You know, so that we'll see where it goes from there. And again, like I said, uh, Ryan handles all those say, all those trades and transactions, and we'll see where it goes. Would you think there's some possibility that then he would, you would have him out of the building? You would tell him not to come to a game. You'd have him out of the building, not to go to another game, and he would somehow be on the team again at some point and play. All I'm saying right now is that it's he's uh, not in the building this week. I really do feel like the guy at the worksite with the with the whiteboard. You know, usually it's it's days without accidents on the work site, but today we're doing days without embarrassment. And I'm going to erase the one, even though we never really, never really had a one full day without embarrassment, but I'm going to put a big old zero on days without embarrassment. Let's see if we can get maybe a, maybe a longer streak here of the bears, not doing something that's just foolish looking and embarrassing. And just, I mean, it's like, come on. Okay. We're asking chase Claypool to be away from the team, but it wouldn't really give answers as to why or what the reaction was. But of course, like as the, as the press conference goes on, he, he doesn't really give answers, but he, he basically said, you know, here at the Chicago Bears, we have a standard where everybody needs to be on time for meetings. Everybody needs to have a positive attitude. Everybody needs to be a team player. And he listed all these like positive traits, sort of implying that Chase Claypool wasn't doing those things. He didn't say outright that he wasn't doing those things, but implied that there's something going on here behind the scenes besides just what we're seeing on the field on Sundays, but also things that we're seeing behind the scenes in practice. And Cole Komet said later in the day, like, you know, you got to be a man and you got to be mature and you got to have your emotions in check and you got to be, you know, level headed and all sort of implying that Claypool wasn't doing that stuff either. And so the Bears made him inactive on Sunday, told him to stay home. Don't be on the sideline. Then on Sunday, Matt Eberflew said he'd be back on Monday. Then on Monday, Eberflew says Claypool won't be back. Not this week. Bears are keeping him away from the team for the entire week and the Washington Commanders game. That's as far as Eberflew will say other than Ryan Poles handles all the other stuff. That means, hey. Chase Claypool will not be back with this team. Either we will trade him or we will cut him. He, for some reason, he would left. He kept leaving open the possibility of maybe he could come back somehow. But as even the question asker there, Jason Leisure was like, "That's never happened. Like players don't aren't asked to stay away from the team, and then all of a sudden everybody, you know, 
kisses and makes up and sings Kumbaya or whatever, like that's not going to happen. So it's a matter of can the Bears get some team to send them a late round draft pick for Chase Claypool or will they just have to cut him outright? Part of the challenge here, he's got a decent salary on the end of his contract, not a ton, right? But like enough that it's, if a team is really short on cap space, it becomes a little bit tricky to fit him in for another team. I believe, you know, it being the end of his rookie contract, it's a just under $3 million cap hit this season. I don't know if there's a way for the Bears to eat some of that. I'm not a salary cap expert expert. I don't know if the Bears could trade him and then just agree to keep that salary and still get a better draft pick for him. That that would seem like the best possibility if that's within the rules. I'm not sure how that works with guarantees and a rookie contract and how that's all been paid out. But to me, like, they should be able to get something for him. Like, I know it's easy to say, why would anybody give anything for Chase Claypool? He's clearly, like, malcontent and not showing anything that gets a team excited to, to trade for him. A couple ideas here. One, the Patriots got a seventh round pick for Nikhil Harry from the Bears, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, worse wide receivers have been traded and not had to be outright released. So there's a precedent here that he does have some talent and some team can get even the latest of late round picks for him. The idea being the other, then part two of the argument here is that if you have more than one team interested in him, then there's leverage, right? That's all it takes is two teams that like Chase Claypool because one team might say, oh, we'll just wait for him to be waived. But then if there's another team that says, oh, we'll just wait for him to be waived, you can go to that first team and say, hey, Kansas City Chiefs said they're also waiting for him to be waived and they'll be ahead of you in the waiver order or whatever it might be. You know, that's not probably not a good example because the Chiefs will be at the bottom of the order. But, you know, if you have two teams that say, oh, there's another team that's interested in him, why risk trying to get him on waivers when you could give us a sixth round pick, a seventh round pick? Anything is better than nothing. You know what I mean? And there's no rush. You trade deadlines at the end of the month, October 31st. So I think Chase Claypool remains a bear until then, unless he gets traded. And then at the deadline, if he's not traded, he's cut. But he's already listed on Monday's injury report as out with injury designation other, which is not something I've ever seen before (laughs) from the Bears or in any NFL team. So it's a mess. That's why I said days without embarrassment. We're down to zero. Let's hope tomorrow can be day one of days without embarrassment for the Chicago Bears team. It's, It's been a rough stretch here. Short week turnaround for the Washington Commanders, but... We'll have you ready for that game. We'll do our crossover Thursday with David Harrison from Locked on Commanders. So that's coming up Thursday morning on the podcast. Tomorrow, I want to talk about Ryan Poles and where he fits in all this Bears mess right now, what blame he deserves, certainly for the Claypool stuff, but other stuff, I don't know. That one's that one's a tricky conversation. That's why I want to have it here on the podcast tomorrow. So make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts because that's going to be the best way to keep up with all of our daily, in-depth Chicago Bears news and analysis. Really appreciate you making us your first listen today and hopefully every single day. It's our everydayers that really drive the Lockdown Bears podcast. We love everybody that tunes in every day, people that leave comments on the Lockdown Bears YouTube video, join the conversation in the Lockdown Bears Facebook group. Like, got some regulars around here that start to become, you know, familiar, at least usernames, if not familiar faces as well. Same thing in the Lockdown Bears uh, subtext group as well, people we've been texting with every single game day. We love all of you. I mean, I do this for you. I don't sit here and talk to myself just for me. You know, I'm not what I... I talk to myself all day. This is the half hour I actually talk to myself where other people will listen to it. So I appreciate you tuning in. And even as the Bears are doing bad, we'll still make sure we find an opportunity for you to bear down.